we will have two psalms as our sermon text today. We've got Psalm 111 and Psalm 112. And it's hard to tell in the English, but they were written to go together. They both start with praise the Lord, or in Hebrew, alleluia. And they are both acrostics, which is a poem that each line of the psalm begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So they're mirrors of each other. But Psalm 111 talks about worshiping God, about who God is and how wonderful God is. And Psalm 112 talks about God-fearers, God-followers, and, um, and what they are like. What's the nature of a God-follower? When you take both of these psalms together, what we have is the nature of the covenant between God and those who follow God. And we'll be exploring that in today's sermon. So, Eric, I'll let you start. This is Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart and the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of honor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has gained renown by his wonderful deeds. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He is ever mindful of his covenant. He has shown his people the power of his works, in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who greatly delight in his commandments. Their descendants will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. They rise in the darkness as a light for the upright. They are gracious and merciful and righteous. It is well with those who deal generously and lend, who conduct their affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. They will be remembered forever. They are not afraid of evil tidings. Their hearts are firm, secure in the Lord. Their hearts are steady. They will not be afraid. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. They have distributed freely. They have given to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn is exalted in honor. The wicked see it and are angry. They gnash their teeth and melt away. For the desire of the wicked comes to nothing. And all of God's people said, Amen. It's an odd juxtaposition to hear the words fear and delight in the same sentence, much less describing the same people. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who greatly delight in his commandments. If you've never spent much time in church, this sounds mighty strange. And even if you have spent time in church, it still sounds a little bit strange. Exactly how does someone fear the Lord and delight in his commandments all at the same time? 
And how in the world is the fear of the Lord the beginning of wisdom? The word fear conjures up the stuff of Stephen King novels, of nightmares, the kind of worst-case scenarios that trigger the fight-or-flight reaction in that part of our brain that scientists call the reptilian brain. It's the part of our brain that we share with reptiles. <laughs> we humans are all too familiar with the kind of fear that brings out the absolute worst in us. But Psalms 111 and 112 talk about the fear that brings out the best in us. The fear of the Lord language used throughout the Old Testament and used here is basically shorthand for our deep, worshipful love for God, the God who loves us first. We might think of having fear of the Lord as simply having a healthy and growing relationship with God, a relationship that's rooted in the understanding that we are God's creation and we are completely dependent on our Creator. That God is God, and we don't have to be, and we don't need to be, and we shouldn't try to be. Fear of the Lord is at the heart of the covenant between God and first Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob, and then all of the children of Israel at Mount Sinai. Shorthand for the covenant would be, I will be your God, you will be my people. Listen to what God tells Moses at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the Israelites, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. Out of all the peoples, indeed the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom the holy nation. The Lord is loving God deeply enough to obey God's voice, to live by God's teachings, and thus become a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. This is the covenant. The creator and redeemer of the universe loves us with a life-changing, people-making, chain-breaking kind of love. And then we respond to God's love with joyful obedience and delight in learning and living out God's teachings in such a way that we, as the people of God, are clearly different from the rest of the dog-eat-dog, cat-fight, rat-race world. <clears throat> Let's start by looking at God's part of the covenant. Psalm 111 calls us, the congregation, to praise and give thanks to God with our whole heart, with our whole selves, because God has been so good to us. Verse 2 testifies to the greatness of God's work. Verse 3, to God's righteousness. Verse 4, how God is gracious and merciful. Verse 5, celebrates how God provides food and is mindful of the covenant. Verse 6, gives the people the heritage of the nation. Do you hear it? It's a rolling testimony that just keeps unfolding, a laundry list of evidence of God's goodness. Many scholars hear in verses 4, 5, and 6 a testimony for what God has done for the people by bringing them out 
of Egypt, providing food in the wilderness, and then giving them a home, a home where they can be safe and at peace and worship. The God who saves them is worthy of our praise, of our thanks, and of our entire lives. And the God who saves is also the God who instructs, who gives us precepts that are trustworthy, verse 7 tells us. Precepts that deserve to be studied with delight, according to verse 2. And verse 8 tells us, and performed with faithfulness and uprightness. Notice again this mutuality inherent in the covenant. God has a role to play, and we have a role to play. The scholar Clinton McCann describes covenant mutuality this way. God relates faithfully to God's people and expects faithfulness in return. Both God's work of redemption and the people's work of obedience are integral to the covenant. God's work of redemption, the people's work of obedience. God redeems, loves, and saves, and we respond with love and worship and obedience. Now there's another word that deserves a little bit of unpacking. Obedience, especially to some of us, makes us kind of a little squirmy makes us a little nervous, and especially those of us who come from Scots-Irish ancestry, as so many of us do here in the Appalachians, we're just not so comfortable with the term obedient. Now, to be sure, covenant obedience is not blind, unthinking, fright-based obedience in the sense that there's some distant strongman that yells jump, and we as the people have to ask how high. It's not like that at all. Covenant obedience is based in our loving relationship with the God who created us, who has redeemed us in Christ Jesus, and who sustains us every single day and every single breath. Like the ancient Israelites who first sang Psalm 111, every single one of us in this room can testify to God's goodness to us. Can we not? God has been good to us. And we each have our own testimonies of what that looks like. Both things that had happened long ago and things that happened just yesterday. God has been faithful to us. And the same God who saves, who is so faithful, who is so good to us, also calls us to obey. To live our lives following in the footsteps of Jesus and not forging our own path that we think might look a little bit better or making up our own rules along the way that we'd much rather follow. God cares enough to have given us guidelines for living in this world. And our part of the covenant is to obey them. But as fellow Duke Divinity scholar Jason Biasi reminds me, the Lord's commands are not for drudgery. On the contrary, the Lord's teaching are basically how to be happy. The Lord's commands, the Lord's teachings, the Lord's precepts are how to be happy in this world. In fact, as we turn now to Psalm 112, verse 1 tells us happy 
or blessed is the exact description of those who fear the Lord, who greatly delight in his commandments. Your translation may say joyful or satisfied, happy, blessed, joyful, satisfied, all of them taken together. Describe what it is like to live in relationship with God. Now, as we know, Psalm 112 is not talking about some commercialized, airbrushed picture of happiness or some fleeting sense of elation, but happiness in the sense of deep and joyful satisfaction that comes from living the life oriented around God and God's way. Again, from scholar Clinton McCann, happiness is not a reward that is earned, but it's the experience of being connected to God. Happiness, being blessed, joyful, satisfied, comes from being connected to God. Psalm 112 gives us a glimpse of what a life connected to God looks like. Hear this. Their descendants will be mighty in the land. Wealth and riches are in their houses. Their righteousness endures forever. They rise in the darkness like a light. They are gracious and merciful and righteous. They deal generously and lend. They conduct their affairs with justice. They'll be remembered forever. They are not afraid of evil tidings. Their hearts are firm, secure in the Lord, steady. They have distributed freely and given to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Just as Psalm 111 is a testimony to the God of the covenant, Psalm 112 was a testimony to the people of the covenant who lived their lives in obedience to God's ways and in connection and relationship with God. This is a portrait of what it looks like to live with God as the center and the foundation of our lives. Now there's about 12 sermons just in Psalm 112, but don't worry, I'm only going to preach one today. <laughs> and so I want to lift out just a few observations from this passage. And the first is this. Everything good in our lives is a gift from God. Everything that we as covenant livers have, everything that we do, is a gift from our Creator. More specifically, everything that we as God followers have and do is an echo of our Creator. Let's take verse 4 as an example. They rise in the darkness as a light for the upright. They are gracious and merciful and righteous. The light that shines out of us as believers is not our own light. We didn't create it. We don't generate it. We can't sustain it. It does not belong to us. Any light that shines out of our lives as individuals or a congregation is simply a reflection, as Rachel so beautifully showed us, of the light of the world, the light that the darkness cannot and will not ever put out, as John's gospel tells us. We don't light up the darkness because we are good. We light up the darkness because God is good. Because God is so good and does his work through broken, limping, cracked vessels like you and me. 
My dad, who was himself a musician and a writer and a storyteller as well as a nuclear physicist, <laughs> used to tell my sisters and me when we were little, girls, don't be fooled. The person who needs to let everybody know they're the smartest person in the room probably isn't. <laughs> the light is not about us. It's about God, and the light shines through us and out into the world, and what a privilege that is to be light bearers. Is it not? Through our humble obedience to God's ways, through our attempts at covenant living, through amazing grace, the light shines through us. And that, sisters and brothers, is a sheer, generous gift. Which brings us to the next observation. Any gift that we have is meant to be shared generously to bless the world. Now, health and wealth evangelists love scriptures like verse 3. Hear it again. Wealth and riches are in the ho their houses and their righteousness endures forever. The evangelist would pluck this verse right out of Psalm 112 and tell us that if we just trust God enough, if we just pray enough and send them $10 in the mail, then we will have a jackpot fortune drop on our doorstep and an easy life from here on out. Now, of course, this approach completely ignores the rest of the psalm and it completely ignores the fact that we worship a Savior who had no place to lay his but that's a sermon for another day. <laughs> Taken as a whole, Psalm 112 indicates that any wealth and riches that we enjoy in the house of a God follower are meant to be part of a life that deals generously and lives freely and distributes freely and gives to the poor. In fact, Generosity is the one aspect that describes covenant living that is mentioned twice in this psalm. God thinks it's important enough to mention it twice. Just in case you didn't get it the first time, generosity is a mark of covenant living. And that makes perfect sense when we remember that our lives are but an echo, a reflection of, of a bit of the God whom we worship. The God who has been infinitely generous to us. Generous in creation, whose wonders surround us every day. Generous in forgiveness, and so much more ready to forgive than we are to ask forgiveness. Generous also in giving us talents, and skills, and education, and experiences, and abilities so rich and powerful, right here in this room. And all of those, just like our material wealth, are intended to be generously shared with others. Sisters and brothers, when we are tight-fisted with who we are and what we have and what we can do, whether we realize it or not, we are not reflecting the generosity of the God we worship. Covenant living means that what we have Whatever we are, whatever we know, whatever we can do, it's all meant to be shared and shared generously. 
And finally, for those of us who read this portrait of covenant livers here in Psalm 112 and feel completely overwhelmed, take heart. No one reflects all of these traits at once, which is a good thing that we get to work together as a congregation, because hopefully on the days when I miss certain aspects, you're reaching those aspects and vice versa. Because the truth is, no one always delights in obedience. That Scots-Irish stubbornness, that might be a reason. Or is that just me? <laughs> no, okay, just making sure. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. <laughs> no one always is generous or just, and everyone's hearts have been unsteady or afraid at some time. As God knows all too well, that's just part of being human. We drop our end of the covenant, and God never drops his. Sometimes we do get too big for our britches, and we think that the light is about us, or that all that we've earned and all that we are is all about us. Or sometimes we forget to be merciful, even though God has been so merciful to us. And so, sisters and brothers, I find great hope in verse 10 of Psalm 111. Hear it again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. All those who practice it. Covenant living, discipleship, following Jesus, learning to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as ourselves is a lifetime practice. Covenant living is a lifetime practice. And so as is true of everything that we've ever practiced in our lives, we're always learning. We're always learning about covenant living and how to do it better, how to be more of who God is calling us to be. And as with anything we practice, there will be some good days and some bad days, some leaps forward and some stumbles backwards. And sometimes we won't just need a take one and a take two, but a take three, four, five, six, and seven and eight. And yet that's how we learn, by the day in, day out, practicing. After all, dancers learn a new sequence of steps by doing it over and over and over until the muscle memory kicks in. And musicians sing or play the same tough line of music until the intervals are spot on and the rhythm just right in line. Athletes practice the same moves over and over, the same drills, the same techniques, no matter how good they are, because that's how we learn. That's how we get better. Practicing is how we become. And so the same is true for covenant living. We learn to be who we're called to be by practicing at it. We learn to forgive by practicing forgiveness. We learn generosity by practicing giving away what we have and who we are. We learn better how to pray by trying different ways of praying, different times of day, different approaches. And in the midst of all the practicing, there are those golden moments when the light does shine. And we say, oh God, help 
Such is the transforming power of our God, who works through broken vessels like us. And like the Apostle Paul, who spoke about transformation and covenant living in such a beautiful way in Galatians, saying, And then it is no longer I who lives, but it is Christ who lives. Brothers and sisters, let us keep practicing together. Let's lean into this covenant living together, praying for transformation and offering ourselves in worship so that our transformed lives together more and more reflect the God who has been so good and so generous and so faithful to us. Let us pray. Well, Lord, we look at your goodness and all we can do is say, Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You are so faithful to us. And like the psalmist, we unfold our testimonies before you, giving thanks for all you are all you have done in our lives together in our lives as individuals and Lord we want to be more and more like the covenant people in Psalm 112 more and more we want to be the disciples you are calling us to be who realize that everything is a gift from you who realize that all that we have and all that we are is meant to be shared in worship and in giving to our community and those around us. And Lord, help us to always remember that we are indeed practicing and that you're used to that. You are far less surprised by our mistakes than we are. And so Lord, with a forgiving spirit, help us to keep practicing and moving forward together to be your covenant people. In Jesus' name, amen.